and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4, and KOA News Radio. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me is Sean Boyd, political specialist at CBS4 News, and political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on Propositions 107 and 108, both addressing opening Colorado's primary election system. Currently, Colorado voters must be affiliated with a, part, a major party to participate in the primary system. Joining us for the next half hour are Kent Theory, proponent representing Let Colorado Vote, and opponent and former lawmaker Penfield Tate. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. We have limited time, so let's get right to it. Sean, you want to start us off? So let's start with a measure that would reestablish the presidential primary in Colorado. Such a small percentage of people participate in the caucus right now, and we often end up with candidates on the fringes of their parties. A presidential primary with everyone receiving that mail ballot would almost certainly increase turnout. Why is that a bad thing, Penfield? You know, Sean, I think there are a couple of things, and I, and I appreciate with both of these measures that people say we want to increase participation, we want to increase turnout, and I would offer to you there's a way to do that now. You can simply affiliate with a party and participate in the process, whether it be in the presidential process, through the current caucus structure, or with primaries. Um, part of my concern with the presidential primary is the cost. We've had it in the past, and we haven't done it in part because of the cost. Secondly, just having a primary doesn't necessarily assure that people are going to participate in that primary process and show up and vote. If you look at Colorado's history and if you look at voter registration now, you've got a number of folks who are registered to vote, but probably a third as many people are inactive voters in that, whether it's been primary or caucus, they've just chosen not to vote at all in the last two election cycles. So I, I have yet to be shown how having a presidential primary is actually going to get people to get up off of their couches and show up and participate in the primary process. Ken, what do you think? You know, Penfield points out, you know, these parties are essentially private clubs, really. So if you want to be a part of the club, join the club, right? We feel quite strongly that given every taxpayer pays for the election, uh, to tell them that they can't participate after they pay for it is just inappropriate. Uh, it'd be very fine for a private party to have a private nomination if it was going to be a private election. But it's not. It's a public election, and it's a sacred part of our democracy. And and back when maybe independents and unaffiliateds were 10% of the likely voters or 15%, that'd be one thing. But now it's 35%, 36%. There are more unaffiliateds than there are Democrats or Republicans. And the notion of telling the biggest group that they can't participate in an election they're paying for, it's kind of hard to reconcile that with the basic principles of democracy. One other point that Penfield made is about the cost. Uh, the, the fact is, on a net economic basis, having a presidential primary would bring money into the state because of all the activity and stimulate the economy. But we don't even make a lot of hay out of that argument because the fact is it's a tiny amount of money per voter. And if you really wanted economic efficiency in your elections, then just do a survey of 2,000 and not even hold the elections we do now, which are very expensive, but democracy is worth it. Eric, our next question. Well, as one of those unaffiliated voters, I have a particular issue. Um, I'm interested in this issue. Let me have a question for each of you. I'll start with you, Ken. Can you get pretty specific here about how this would work? How would this, for an average voter, how would this change the process? What would I be receiving in the mail, whether I was a Democrat or Republican or an unaffiliated? Let's get 
get down and specific. Yeah, excellent question. And on this, our philosophy was to make as small a change as possible that would nonetheless enable a million Colorado voters, the largest group, to participate without having to do something they don't want to do, which is declare themselves to be something they're not. Uh, but we want it to be the smallest amount of change. And so what it means is if I was an unaffiliated or an independent, which I am, uh, that I would request either a D or an R ballot on a timely basis, uh, and, uh, and I would receive it. And, and the, the way it would most likely turn out is that, that there would be one column for Ds, one column for Rs, clearly marked that you choose one, uh, and you would submit your vote like everyone else. And Penfield, a two-parter. One, what is wrong with that? And secondly, are you really, I mean, I understand your notion of if you want to participate in a caucus, in a, in a primary affiliate, but are you really suggesting that this will not, at least at some level, increase turnout and that the caucus process, which we witnessed at the presidential level this last spring with, particularly on the Republican side, close to zero turnout, are you really suggesting that that is a preferable option? I'm suggesting a couple of things. First, let's be clear uh, about the facts. In Colorado, we're now in an all-male environment, and so the caucus systems that are currently used are not paid for by taxpayers. They're paid for by the respective political parties. And so when you talk about injecting a primary, this is a new cost to Colorado taxpayers that are currently borne by the various political parties. That's number one. Secondly, you will inject more activity. I guess what I'm suggesting, Eric, is I don't, if the benefit or what you're trying to accomplish is just to get more people to vote, I would submit that you can encourage the existing parties to modify what they're doing to get there. If your objective is to drive a particular end, I have a real philosophical problem with that if you're trying to drive activity toward one party or another or away from the two what are classified in state statute as the major parties to other political parties. Uh, Here's the uh, logistical issue I see, the way the initiative is written now. And, And the one good thing about it is it's a statutory proposal, so it's not locked in the Constitution. And that is a benefit, but I think it's fraught with so many problems logistically and practically that we're going to spend years trying to to sort it out, and I don't know if that's beneficial. The way I read the proposal, contrary to Kent's explanation, is if you are currently affiliated with a party, you will receive the ballot for that party. If you are unaffiliated, you receive the ballots for every party that has a candidate qualified to be on the presidential ballot. So if you're an unaffiliated, I think this year on the ballot there are what? nine candidates that have qualified for the Colorado ballot to run for president, so you would get nine ballots in the mail. One of the things you have to do is make sure that once you you can only vote on one of them, so you can't hop around from ballot to ballot. If you do, you've disqualified your vote, and basically we've paid for a bunch of paperwork you've gotten that's all going to get thrown out. And so, you know, the, the reality is in Colorado, Kent's right, I understand people may not want to affiliate, but you can affiliate for a day, participate, and then unaffiliate immediately after that. Let me jump in here with a quick question. Um, Kent, it feels like this would create basically a second general election. Instead of running for a Republican nomination or a Democratic nomination in a basic primary, not just the presidential one, but the the Proposition 108, um, I would 
have to run attracting both if I want a Republican nomination. I would need to attract Republican voters and unaffiliated voters. That seems to water down the idea and basically creating two general elections when right now we only have one. Am I wrong? I think we look at it pretty, pretty differently. The right to vote we see is fairly sacred in America. It's in the Constitution. Parties, primaries, caucuses are not in the Constitution. They were created at different times because America evolved to where that was a step that was taken. Uh, so that was a change to the prior electoral system, perhaps appropriate for its time when just about everybody was a D or an R. That world is gone. And right now, if you were in a room 90 years ago inventing primaries, only you were doing it today, and someone raised their hand and said, I've got a great idea. Let's take kind of 6 or 7% of the voters that are primarily on the far left and let them pick one person. And let's make it a little difficult to get to those meetings and they're picked by a small group. And for a lot of folks, they can never get there. It's not possible because of their jobs or daycare. So they're out, even if they're in the party. Then let's take 6% on the other side, on the, uh, on the other extreme, and let them pick. And then everybody in the middle picks between those two finalists. You would have been laughed out of the room. Now, at that time, because just about everybody was affiliated, it was sensible. Now it's ludicrous. But it sounds still that you're saying that we should have two general elections. I, I still think there, there are patterns within the independent group. There are some who primarily vote Republican. There are some who primarily vote Democratic. And there are some who switch back and forth, which is a beautiful, I think, uh, reflection of the fluidity of American society and a good thing to be encouraged, not disenfranchised. And so we actually think there's no such thing as two generals. You would end up with people primarily... Uh, that are associated with one party or the other participating. Ben, let me it, go ahead. Yeah, if I may, um, I understand, I think, where Kent's coming from, but I would offer this as a different way to describe where we are. Political parties exist because you're right. Everybody's got a constitutional right to vote. And what happened over time is people whose shared values, perceptions, and beliefs affiliated with parties to represent in some way those core values, whether it be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, um, People's Party, uh, American Constitution Party, they all affiliated because they were like-minded about certain things and they said, we want to put our candidate forward who best expresses our point of view. That's our way of articulating and giving voice to our preference, and we're going to put that person out there as our candidate and see how many other people agree with us. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about that. What I do think I have a problem with is letting someone who doesn't care about my core values tell me who my candidate gets to be. And I would offer, when you look at the current presidential um, election process, there are some people on the Republican side of the aisle who will tell you that's exactly what happened to their, can their party this year, that their, their presidential candidate, in the minds of many of them, is not really a Republican. It's someone who was foisted upon them by a small minority of people who were active in the party and who worked the mechanism now. It's their mechanism, so they have to take responsibility for it. And to Eric's point, what happened in Colorado is the Republican Party didn't even have a preference uh, vote because they chose not to. 
on the Democratic side, what we saw was again a record turnout where the precinct caucuses were just overwhelmed with a mass of people. We saw this the first time President Obama ran. People were standing out in the snow to participate in caucuses. And I would tell you, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You want a bunch of your neighbors and people showing up and sitting in a room, and most of them have been moved to accessible sites where you can have this conversation. Sean, let me let you jump in here. Are, are there any other states that do it this way, you know, where you get multiple ballots and you have to choose and it's all open? Kent? At, at this point, a majority of the states of America have some form of open primary, so we are in the minority. Much more extreme, we may be the only state in America where a plurality of the voters are unaffiliated, more unaffiliated than there are D's or R's, and primaries are totally closed. So right now, first of all, a majority of the states have some form, and second, we are the most extreme example of disenfranchisement in America. So what's the spoilage rate in those other states in terms of people voting both ballots and having them tossed? The, when we talk to people who don't have a dog in this hunt, who aren't zealots for protecting the caucus system or zealots about open primaries and participation, you think about error rates in the neighborhood of 2 and 3 percent. That, that fits more with the empirical data of what actually happens. And we have a lot of faith in the intelligence of the voter. Right, right now, they have to take a number of steps about signing, putting stuff in envelopes, flapping this and that, using one color versus another. They do it all. Telling them something like, pick one column out of two and vote in that column, uh, the, the data says that they're going to get that right 99% of the time. And for a democracy, a 1% error rate is a small price to pay. Penfield? Well, uh, number one, uh, I've seen data that says the spoilage rate is closer to 7%, which in many Colorado elections means the spoilage rate is often greater than the margin of error or the, the margin that determines the winner or loser, which is problematic. Secondly, let's be clear, both for the, in the caucus process, they aren't closed. In Colorado, all you have to do is there's a process to affiliate if you want to participate in a Republican or Democratic or some other caucus, you do affiliate, you then participate. When you're done participating, you can remain affiliated or you can unaffiliate again. You don't have to, it's not a lifelong choice. And people move around all of the time. Uh, and so you're not locked in. You can go to the party or to the caucus or to the group that best represents what your core beliefs are, what your values are. And that's where you go and participate. Eric? Depend. I mean, you're right that there is currently a process by which you can do it, but very, very few people do it. Now, to Kent's point earlier, I think part of the impetus behind this, if I'm not mistaken, is to try to drive politics a little more to the center. Because right now, since with low participation, Democratic politics and nominations tend to increasingly skew left. Republican nominations increasingly skew right. Do you see any value to this pen in terms of, even if it's a small step, to reduce this divisive polarization that we have in this country? I'm not convinced that this is the mechanism to reduce this divisive debate. Uh, number one, I think you simply make it worse. Again, I, I think both parties or all parties will have 
an issue if they think they're candidates or carpetbaggers who are showing up just for that election cycle and they don't truly represent the core values of the people who have chosen to voluntarily affiliate and associate in a political party. So I think you actually raise the possibility of greater alienation among voters because they may say, look, why should I show up for a caucus? A bunch of people who haven't cared to affiliate with any party before are going to show up, say they want somebody I've never heard of before to be the candidate. I don't know anything about that person, or once I learn about them, I may not like it. Why should I participate at this point? What's in it for me to stay invested in the process? I may vote come election day, but... I've been deprived of my ability to say who gets to represent the values that I hold more dearly and closely. Ken, can you speak to that point, uh, polarization and how this fits into that equation? Absolutely. And, and first, let's be clear about whose core values are being currently represented in the current caucus system. It's 6% on the far right and 6% of the far left. Those are the core values that are determining the two finalists. And we think that's an abomination of the principles of democracy. And all sorts of independents and affiliates like me care passionately about voting, follow the election, evaluate the candidates, and do not want to be a D or an R. We're an American, and we want to vote um, and not be held to two finalists chosen by these tiny, tiny groups on the far left and far right. And we do think it, the effect on policy, on moderation, on tone could be dramatic. First of all, you'd have more moderates likely to run because they have a chance. Uh, second, you'd have incumbents able to compromise and actually govern because they wouldn't fear too much that they're going to lose their reelection on a wedge issue. And third, we now have most young people declaring themselves as unaffiliated. Unaffiliated are the fastest growing party in America. And to tell all of our kids under 40 that they're not really a part of the candidate selection process is just not healthy. Ken, I want to bring up the idea of, because I think any time you write, the idea the potential to write something into law in Colorado, someone's going to find a way to use it to their advantage. And I want to see how you would avoid shenanigans being used on this particular, on 108, which would change primaries, not the presidential election. If I'm, if I'm a Democrat and I'm looking at a five-way primary for the U.S. Senate and I look at Daryl Glenn, who is going far right and is probably the perfect candidate for uh, Michael Bennett, or I see Jack Graham, a moderate, he's pro-choice, I, I don't want that guy against my candidate, Michael Bennett, wouldn't I want to get a bunch of people to vote for the candidate in that five-way primary that was only decided by a few thousand votes so that I could skew the results for the general election? There's two pieces of good news on that important issue that comes up a lot and reflects people's sincere concern about democracy and the principles of democracy. The first is the empirical evidence, both in Colorado and elsewhere, is almost no voters do that. They just, it's not, you look at, you talk to them, you do the research. So first of all, the empirical data is overwhelmingly clear in Colorado and in most of America. People don't do that. Second, we don't change any part of that system. So that risk already exists. Right now, if I'm a D... But they have to sign up and if join I'm a, a D, party to do I can, that. I can go ahead and request uh, uh, that I be uh, changed to be a Democrat or, or, or a Democrat changing to be a Republican. And almost no one does it. So the ease with which mischief could be committed is very high already in Colorado's existing system if it was important for someone to do it. And as but we know, there's... But if ahead. it's already really high probability, why do I need to open up the primary? Excuse me? If, I, if it's already high probability that shenanigans could happen because everyone can join <laughs> it's, in, it's, why do I need to open it it's up? It's actually the, the opposite. It's a very low probability 
but it's a low probability despite the fact that it's easy already. Okay. So we don't make it easier, we don't make it more difficult. We rely on Colorado voters to behave as they've behaved for decades and decades, which is, in general, they vote for the person they want to vote for. They don't go out and try to play games with the system. Pan, to that same point, if moderates, either Democrats or Republicans, should they be in favor of this because we're probably going to lose the fringe candidates from a primary? Well, let's back up and talk about a couple things. If you go to the Secretary of State's website, with the most recent data, the current voter registration is 32% Democrat, 32.1% Republican, and 34.3% unaffiliated. So they're all almost equal in terms of registered voters. And so there's not a huge group of folks who are being disenfranchised here. There's about a third of the registered voters who have determined not to affiliate with a party for whatever reason. That's number one. Number two, um, in a way, I think I agree with Kent because under the current rules, you can affiliate with a party, go to the caucus, participate, and work through that process to try to nominate uh, a candidate who you think your candidate, based on your true leanings, has a better chance of beating. I mean, but if you've, all of us have been involved in politics, that's just a conspiracy of such a large scale. I don't think anybody could pull it off. Um, but I think it does happen in some smaller races, like county commission races, state house races, and state senate races. I think the, the likelihood of that sort of packing the house is more apt to happen in, in the down ballot races than it is for a U.S. senator or a presidential uh, primary candidate. Uh, the other thing I'd offer is this. Six percent of the population didn't pick, you know, Hillary Clinton as the Democratic nominee, and six percent of the population didn't propel Bernie Sanders forward. They had substantial, both of them had substantial fo followings. It ended up Hillary Clinton won the Democratic primary. It ended up Donald Trump won the Democratic primary, but nobody was propelled just by six percent of the population. That's not true. Okay. If I could point out something. Uh, a quick uh, reaction, then then to Sean. Uh, there, which is, if you look just at the Democratic side, uh, the more uh, liberal candidate was uh, Sanders. He won 89% of caucus states. Hillary won the overwhelming majority of normal primary states. If you want just an incredibly pure mathematical example in today's society of what caucuses drive within each party, it's in today's election. And we'll need a short answer to this right. one. Right. So, quick one. You, you mentioned cost, Penfield, as one of your concerns. What would be the cost, of, especially with the multiple ballots, and where does that money come from? You know, the estimates I've seen, and, and, and I think some of these are in the blue book, best on what Ledge Council puts together, is upwards of $5 million for a, a primary election, which I think is a significant cost. Um, when you consider now that with the caucus process, the parties bear the entire cost of all of that. And when we look at a cost like that, and we'd probably peg the number more at three to three and a half, but reasonable people could disagree. And then you talk about a million voters. These are registered voters. Uh, and you talk about it's a cost once every four years. You're down to saying you're going to be spending a couple of dimes per person who has a right to exercise their constitutional sacred uh, right to vote. Well, it is uh, time of the debate to get to our closing statements. Uh, we ask our uh, both uh, representatives to have one minute to offer their final message to our viewers. Uh, we start with our opponents. So, Penn, the floor is yours for one minute. 
Well, Dominic, Sean, and Eric, thank you. And Kent, thank you. I've enjoyed this opportunity to be here with you. And um, Coloradans, what I would simply start with is telling you the reason we're having this debate, the reason we're having this conversation is one of the most precious liberties given to us by our form of government is the ability to freely express your choice in the political process. So whatever your political affiliation or non-affiliation, please vote. Um, but I also ask you to vote against these two propositions <laughs> because I also believe there is a current process in state law now that allows you to participate in a primary process if you choose to affiliate for a temporary period of time with whichever party you choose. It doesn't have to be Republican or Democrat. And then you can unaffiliate. In terms of a presidential primary, I don't know if we necessarily want to incur that cost in the state of Colorado. I don't believe that more people will participate in a primary than currently participate in the caucus process. And if you don't like the way the party that you're inclined towards runs their nominating process, join it and change it. Thank you very much, Penn. Kent, the floor is yours for one minute. Thank you, and thank you, Penfield, uh, for your thoughtful remarks. Uh, we think this is about fairness. Uh, people, taxpayers pay for these elections. People want to vote. Uh, we think it's a basic issue of fairness. The current system is just not fair, and it's not off by just a little bit. Uh, the second point we try to emphasize is that voting is a sacred constitutional right. Political parties and primaries are not even in the Constitution. They're mechanical processes which have been adjusted many times throughout America's history, including changes like letting women vote and things like that. Uh, awfully important to work on democracy as, as an ever-changing work in process. And so we believe that for the health of the democracy that we're going to turn over to our children, participation is important. And given there are more unaffiliated than there are Ds or Rs, we really need to tweak the system a little bit. Kent, thank you very much. That is all the time we have for our look at Colorado's primary system tonight. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us, Kent Theory and Penfield Tate. I'd also thank my fellow panelists, Sean Boyd and Eric Sonderman. If you'd like to find out more information about the, any of the primary election races or the general election races as it is this time of year, please visit our website at cpt12.org election or cbsdenver.com and kawaynewsradio.com. Tune in next Friday at 9 p.m. for our look at Congressional District 4 with Republican incumbent Ken Buck and his Democratic opponent Bob C. And stay tuned tonight at 9.30 right after this debate. We'll be featuring both sides of the story. It's our uh, uh, long-awaited high school debate series. We're in our third season. This is our special 2016 tournament edition. Later tonight we'll have the Cherry Creek debate team going at the red light cameras issue. Uh, the winner of that debate will go on to debate the winner of next week's debate, which of course uh, is uh, from George Washington High School. You'll want to miss that while the semifinals in October. And we will name a both sides of the story champion uh, November 4th, right before Election Day at 930. So do not miss it. You'll be very impressed with these high school uh, students come up with his arguments. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.